Amen. He is our Prince of Peace. And we have to make that conscious decision every day. Am I going to live my life for Him? Let's stand this morning and sing How Great Thou Art.
There is no other God but our God. He is God alone. There are many others that people call God, but He's the only true God. Let's sing His praises this morning. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in
this city. He is the God for everyone of this city, not just for us, but those that have yet to find him. And we declare, Lord, use us. Help us to reach this whole city that they could all know who you are and what you've done for them. Oh uh-huh. 
David Bates is going to lead us in our offertory prayer. Father, we thank you for the, the opportunity to gather here in your name this morning. Lord, as we look around the world, we, there's just multitudes of people that would give anything to be able to, to gather in your name. Lord, we lift them up to you today. Bless them, be with them, give them hope, and give them strength. Father, we, we thank you for all that you've done for each one of us. It's our time now, Lord, to, to give back to you what you've given to us. Lord, not only in our, or with our money, but Lord, with our service and with our time, with our love, with our honor. Lord, forgive us where we fail thee. Bless the remainder of this service today, for we ask these things in your name. Amen. Whisper 
busy week in our church family and uh, a great loss and uh, Mr. Julius McLaurin I know many of us have a busy afternoon today some of you have uh, a couple of different wakes and funerals to attend and so uh, our prayers are with you as you go through this time and experiencing some loss in our church family I do want to welcome today Dr. Dan Crawford uh, made it in this morning on his flight. He'll be our speaker tonight at the LAP Banquet, uh, Leadership Appreciation Preparation Banquet. We're glad to have Dr. Crawford with us for that special time this evening. Looking forward to ministering with all of you tonight. Uh, author and pastor Calvin Miller wrote this, Wherever success exists, it's vision that creates it. Each year we take a Sunday to recast the vision for our church and we call it the State of the Church Address. And this is my sixth State of the Church Address now. And during this message we look back at what God has done and we look ahead at where God is taking us and where we expect Him to take us in the coming year. And so we started 2013. Let's jump back and see where God has brought us from. We started 2013 saying let's move and when one of my ministry friends saw that, he quickly asked me, is First Baptist relocating? And I said, uh, no. <laughs> Move actually stood for movement that we wanted to see in our church. And the first thing that we wanted to see was we wanted to maintain our facilities. Then we wanted to optimize our ministry to families. We wanted to vitalize our outreach and we wanted to envision our future. And we did a lot of moving in 2013. We started with maintaining our facilities and we saw, uh, we renovated our youth room. We had launched that last year. We got to see that space that hadn't been touched since 1970 when it was built. Uh, it got a fresh new look and the final touch is going to be added very soon when uh, some new chairs arrive for that room. Uh, we retreaded all of the stairwells and the activities building, something else that hadn't been done since the building was built. And we also paid off the new roof and air conditionings that we put on the three-story education building, a $200,000 project or so, and we were glad to be able to do that. We also optimized, optimized our ministry to families. As you know, we launched Upward Basketball and Cheer last year. And, of course, we're in our second year, and as Coy shared, we have about 200 children being reached by that ministry this year, along with their parents. Uh, you need to stop by the gym on a Saturday, and if you can find a parking spot, come on in and watch a game. It's an amazing ministry uh, that's just simply phenomenal. Thank you to all of you who are giving your Saturdays to that, those of you who are serving as prayer partners. It's just fantastic. We also last year held our first uh, parent summit where we help parents prepare for the spiritual milestones in their children's lives. And we have the next parent summit on tap for October in this year. We also saw exciting growth in our children's ministry, something we had, had already seen, but this year has just been unprecedented. Uh, one of the key factors was that of that was the addition of a children's intern. Uh, we hired Jade Perkins to serve in that role, and that's just been so helpful for helping bring all of our different children's ministries together to collaborate and coordinate them, as well as prepare some special events. And 
Participation in children events has been outstanding. Uh, many of you heard that uh, a week or so ago, the children's ministry took a trip up to Monroe, and uh, they had more than 70 people go on that trip, which is just outstanding. And so we're so grateful for what God is doing in our children's ministry. We also last year looked to vitalize our outreach, and we conducted a six-month partnership with a sister church, a First Baptist Church of LeCount, my home church, and doing some revitalization with them. Uh, they now have a new pastor, and we are praying for them to become a vibrant church. We offered mission opportunities that allowed a lot of our different uh, groups to be able to be on mission uh, literally around the world. We had a team that went to Guatemala. Our high school seniors uh, took a first annual trip, uh, senior mission trip, and they went to New York City last year, and then our youth went to their mission camp in Atlanta. We also partnered with some sister churches to launch the New Life Community Church down in South Louisiana, in Arnoldville, Louisiana. Many of you helped uh, with a block party to help launch that ministry. We're giving uh, to that church financially each month, and then we'll also be looking at a uh, sports clinic sometime this spring, probably in March. Uh, last year, we also started to uh, look at envisioning our future. And we elected a long-range planning committee that worked hard and is still working on a campus site plan for our church to uh, look at improving parking, improving our facilities, updating our facilities, making some additions that will help uh, with needed things such as restrooms for this building and uh, elevator for the activities building and things like that. Uh, really exciting things. The committee is eagerly awaiting the first draft of some ideas from the architect. That's going to come later this month and then we'll be in a, a review and drafting process. Uh, exciting things coming up. Uh, in terms of growth, 2013 was a stable and strong year for us. Uh, we welcomed 77 new members. 24 of those were by baptism. Uh, but financial giving was, was really outstanding, uh, though we fell a little bit short of our budget goal uh, in our budget receipts. Our total giving was just phenomenal. Total giving takes into account all of our mission offerings, which uh, you are so generous to support well, and other gifts for building and, and things like that. And our total giving was just over $1.9 which is our largest giving in at least 13 years. It's also about $300,000 more in total giving than last year. And if you go back to 2008, our total giving was about 875000 That's total giving. And we had an old debt of just over $1 million. Today, we have no debt and over a $1 million more to work with. So that's something to praise the Lord about, a great turnaround in six years. Yeah, I see some of you who were through all that. You're wanting to say, thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So 2013 was stable and strong. We didn't see a whole lot of numerical growth, but, but in, the, in some of the areas we really saw a lot of good strengthening. And so now what about 2014? Well, we want to continue that strengthening. Our, our theme this year is growing stronger. We want to grow stronger in 2014. And when I say we want to grow stronger, that doesn't mean we're weak. I simply mean we always want to grow stronger. And there are three areas in which we want to grow stronger this year. The first is we want to grow stronger in our ministry direction. Our ministry staff is studying each ministry area of our church. We're seeking ways to make those areas more purposeful. And we can't have time today to go into all of that, so I'm going to take two examples. One, take, for instance, the purpose of evangelism. We feel like we do a pretty good job of evangelism within our church. 
our Sunday school, our age ministries, our worship services, uh, special events present the gospel well. They present the gospel consistently. But we need to develop more ways to help our congregation to reach outside the church. And we also need to help develop ways where our church can penetrate the city better. And so we're considering every avenue that's available to us from one-on-one -on -one engagement and personal evangelism to social media to even mass media, things that we want to put together to help our church be strong. We might also consider the purpose of ministry. Uh, we want to make our ministries to others as effective as possible. And, and one long-time ministry that we have, just one example, is our Main Street Baptist Mission, which is, if you head down Main Street, for those of you who don't know, it's down on the left, closer to the river. And we have a, a church that meets there, and they do benevolence ministry to homeless, and a lot of great things happen there. Just found out this week of a, of a great, exciting thing that could be on the horizon for our Main Street Mission that will make it more effective in reaching people as a church and ministering to the homeless. Can't share the details right now. The committee doesn't even know about it. They'll find out this afternoon. But God is opening up a huge door for the Main Street Mission. Uh, evangelism and ministry, but that's just two of our five purposes. And so what I'm saying is this. Though we've experienced growth, though we have seen a lot of good things happen, we're not content just where we are. As long as there are people to reach... As long as there's a gospel to share, we want to keep on doing more and to do it more effectively. So we want to grow stronger in our ministry direction. And our staff is actually going to be meeting most of the day Tuesday, uh, having a, a retreat to think through all of these ministry areas and share ideas. We also want to grow stronger in ministry support. Uh, while the first area of ministry directing is kind of philosophical and the results may not be readily seen, things that have to do with ministry support will be seen. Uh, first, as many of you know, this year we will be hiring our first full-time student minister in eight years. Uh, we've been rebuilding the staff for the last six years. This is the next step. Uh, it's in the budget. Our search, student minister search committee is narrowing on a candidate, and um, our goal is to have a student minister by the summer. Uh, until then, be praying for our search committee. Also, until then, we're glad that Coy is going to keep serving as our interim. We have been really blessed to have Coy with us. Uh, we haven't even missed a beat in this interim period, and so we thank God that he led Coy to invest this year in our church. Uh, the next thing that we're going to look at in ministry support is we've got to update our church's transportation. Now, you don't often talk about that in the state of the church, but we have two 13-year-old vans that are becoming jalopies by the day, and uh, every group that gets in them says, really? We have to ride around in this? And uh, they have numerous maintenance issues, and, and they're just they're inadequate in that way. They're also inadequate to carry all the people that are participating in events. They're 12 passenger vans, which means we can transport 24 people. Uh, every group that goes somewhere takes more than 24 people, from senior adults to youth to children. Remember that trip to Monroe? 70 people went. It took eight vehicles to get them there. So we need to do uh, better than that. And the deacons back in November uh, have assigned an ad hoc committee that is working to research and assess our uh, transportation needs for our church. Uh, the third thing that we'll want to do is continue making facility improvements. Uh, there were, there's still 10 years of deferred maintenance that we're working on, and uh, we've done a lot, but there's more to come. One of the things that we're going to be able to do this year, because of a generous gift last year,
last year is we're going to be uh, replacing the floors and touching up the paint in all of our preschool classrooms. Uh, they're in much need of that if you've ever been in there. And uh, we're going to be doing that. We had a wonderful gift and the finance committee has set aside $30,000 of that gift to redo those floors. It's just nine to 10,000 square feet of floors. And so we're looking forward to getting that uh, updated. Also by mid-year, the Long Range Planning Committee will bring their recommendation, which means by year's end, uh, we could be gearing up for a capital campaign for our first phase of our master plan. Now, long-range plans are fun to talk about, and we've had a lot of fun dreaming and talking about things we'd like to see, but the worst thing that would happen is for this committee to do all this work and for the plans to, for the church to say, yeah, that sounds great, and then they just get stuck in a closet and collect dust. And my prayer is God help us if, if we take that approach to this long-range plan because I'm afraid that if we don't move forward, we'll only go backwards. And so it's going to take faith, it's going to take uh, commitment to move forward into implementing the master plan. And uh, if we'll catch the vision for what God has for us, the possibilities of what God can do through us will be uh, beyond our wildest imagination. You know, one of the things I was reminded about this week as Mr. McLaurin passed away and as I read his obituary and as I talked to his family, I was amazed to see everything that he was able to accomplish in 18, 19 years at Rapids Hospital. Just one of our church members accomplishing that in the secular world. And it reminded me of the kind of people our church is made up of. And if we can do that kind of thing individually outside of the church, God only knows, literally, what we could do together inside the church and with the church. So I'm looking forward to the kind of things that God's going to take us to in the coming years. We're going to grow stronger in ministry support. But the main thing that we're going to do this year is to grow stronger as a church. Ministries are needed. Ministry support is needed for the ministries. But if we don't grow stronger as a church, the ministry direction and ministry support won't even be needed. We must grow stronger as a church. And when I speak of growing stronger as a church, I don't mean the nickels and noses or the programs and ministries. I mean the people. And I mean our commitment to the Lord and to each other. And this is where much of our focus is going to be this year, and it's going to be in this message. And to help us grow stronger as a church, we're beginning today a series through the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians. And so if you haven't turned there already, I'd ask for you to, to turn there. We're only going to look at one verse today. I know you're looking at your clock saying, Oh, Lord... We got a funeral this afternoon, Stuart. Yeah, I know we have a funeral this afternoon. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, the church at Corinth was arguably Paul's worst church. The people of Corinth were self-absorbed. They were so self-absorbed that they admired themselves. They did what they wanted to do. And they indulged in every whim that hit them. The church was an absolute mess. And so consequently, in this letter... Paul addresses issues of disunity, turf wars, divorce, lawsuits, immoral, immoral activities, spiritual gifts, haughty attitudes, and all kinds of other subjects. And when you, when you hear all that, you might wonder, um, why are we studying this church to grow stronger ourselves as a church? Or you might wonder, does Stuart think we're like Corinth? The answer to that question is no. <laughs> Far from it. But we're looking at this church in order to grow stronger. And the reason is, often the worst model provides the best example from which to learn. 
You see, as we study Corinth, we'll learn a lot of what not to do from the church at Corinth, and we'll learn a lot about what we should do from Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Interestingly, at the very beginning of this letter, written to one of the worst churches ever, we find the essence of what every church should be. Look at verses 1 through 3 briefly as Paul introduces the letter. Paul called to be an apostle to Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to focus only on verse 2 this morning because this is the verse that captures the essence of what every church should be. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. We can glean at least four foundational truths that form the essence of every church. The first thing is a strong church belongs to God. Paul says the church of God. When we speak of the church here, we're not talking about a building at a particular location. In fact, there was no such thing at Corinth. He's talking about a gathering of believers within a particular community. And when we talk about who that church belongs to, we're talking about ownership, not really about ownership. We're talking about leadership. We're talking about headship. We're talking about who's in control. Paul calls the church at Corinth the church of God. So whose church is it? God's. Paul had founded the church at Corinth. He had every right as anybody else to claim headship and leadership of that church. He had helped it be birthed. He had, had invested in its life. But he doesn't call it my church. There was a lady named Chloe in that church that we'll learn about. She loved her church. She was a patron of the church. She was concerned about our church. But Paul doesn't call it Chloe's church. He knew there were people in the church who thought themselves super spiritual. And they thought they, they had it all together, but he doesn't call it the church of the spiritual elite. He calls it God's church. The church belongs to God, and a strong church understands that. The church does not belong to a denomination. It does not belong to a pastor. It does not belong to the deacons. It doesn't belong to a leading family. The church belongs to God. You know as well as I do that many of the problems in churches revolve around selfish possessiveness by pastors and by congregations when it comes to the life and activities of the church. You hear it over and over again. Pastors will say stuff like this. God's put me in charge. It's my church. And anybody that disagrees can just take the road. People will say, preachers come and go. This is my church. I'm here. Both attitudes are wrong. It's not the pastor's church. It's not the people's church. It's God's church. One uh, theologian pointed out this. He said the main defect at Corinth was the belief of the addressees was not in God, not, but in their own belief in God and in particular leaders. And so since they saw the church as belonging to someone else and not God, they looked to whomever that owner or leader or head was, whether it be Paul or Chloe or the spiritual elite or someone else, and in so doing, they failed to put their belief in God. How many of you know that if you put your belief in any human being, you will be disappointed? 
Every human leader will fail at some point, but God never fails. If we put our belief in God as the leader of the church, then we humans can make our inevitable mistakes, but our church can remain strong. Or if, if we put our belief in God as the leader of the church, then it really shouldn't matter all that much who stands behind the pulpit because the church will be led, led by God and it will still be growing stronger. We want to make sure this is our attitude as we move through 2014 because that's got to be our attitude as we move into master plan and building campaigns where changes take place to spaces we've known forever, Right? It must be our attitude as people join our church and, and the face of our church continues to change. It, it must be our attitude as new leadership comes on board and cast vision. It's not our church. It's God's church. A strong church belongs to God and we want to be a strong church. The next thing that we see here reminds us that a strong church has a local responsibility. This is the church of God in Corinth. That's an interesting statement that Paul uses there because over in First and Second Thessalonians, for example, Paul prefers to say the church of the Thessalonians. But here he says the church in Corinth. There may be nothing to this, but some scholars think that Paul used this construction to show a very sharp contrast. Corinth was a sin city. If there ever was one, it was a city with a seaport on two sides, and it had everything that seaport cities have traditionally been known for. And yet in the middle of that sinful, dark city was a church, albeit an imperfect church, that was shining forth the light. It was the church of God in Corinth. You know, sometimes we forget that God wants to shine his light in the midst of darkness. When Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, one of my church members in Texas popped off, God is judging that sin city. And I said, well, his aim was kind of off because he destroyed all the churches in the seminary, but he missed Bourbon Street. <laughs> she didn't really know what to say to that. God doesn't forsake dark cities. He puts churches of light in those cities. And this was the case of the church in Corinth. Every church has a local responsibility. Theirs was the city of Corinth and its surrounding regions. Ours is the city of Pineville and central Louisiana. The question is, how bright is our light? On top of our church is a cupola, a lighthouse, basically, it looks like. And our logo uses that. How bright is our light. You know, if a lighthouse is removed from a seashore, ships that depend on that lighthouse to guide them to safe harbor would miss it desperately. The question we should ask ourselves as a church repeatedly is if our church was gone tomorrow, would central Louisiana miss us desperately? If we're doing our job, then they should. I don't mean the building at 901 Main Street. I mean the people making a difference in the community. A strong church has a local responsibility, and we want to be a strong church. A strong church is also set apart from the world. He says this is the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Paul's clear about what it means for the church to be set apart from the world. He does not mean stuck up. He does not mean haughty. He does not mean snooty with a judgmental, we're better than you, we've got it all together kind of attitude. He means set apart in the sense that the world notices something different about us and we're set apart for a purpose. 
He communicates describing this in two ways, that we're sanctified and we're called to be his holy people. Paul says that the church is made up of those sanctified in Christ Jesus. That word sanctified kind of has the idea of inclusion in the inner circle of what is holy because of our association with God. You're kind of welcomed into this inner circle. Every person who has accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior is welcomed into that circle, that close relationship with God. But that sanctification doesn't happen all at once. It's a process. In fact, the word sanctified helps us see that. It has the idea that there's a past experience that continues into the present time. So you might think about it this way. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you are being sanctified. You are being sanctified, to say it in that way. You are becoming like a saint. But don't think of saints as some kind of super race with halos hovering over their heads. Saints are simply people who know the Lord. Every person who's been saved by Jesus Christ is a saint. So I'm Saint Stuart. And you're a saint. You're a saint. Now, the, the, the verdict's out on some of y'all still, but everybody who knows the Lord is a saint. Does that mean I or you or any other believer is perfect? No. Far from it. Paul calls the Corinthians saints, and they certainly were not perfect. Saints aren't perfect, but saints are set apart, and they are set apart for a purpose, and that purpose is to serve God. When you're saved, we say you surrender your life to Jesus, right? That's because you're giving up control. You're letting Him be the Lord, the master, the boss of your life. You're not in control of anymore. You're surrendering to serve His purposes. And as we each do that as believers, we then start to pursue holiness. We are called to be holy. And as we do that individually, we do that collectively then as a church. See, the church at Corinth was full of saints, but they were not living like saints. We know the church at Pineville is full of saints, and we want to live like saints. Every week, several times a week, I pray, Lord, wherever our people are scattered this week, help us to make impact for your kingdom. Because it struck me one day that we are everywhere in this community, in the stores and in the schools and on the ball fields and in the office buildings. We're flying around the nation, touching people in airplanes and in boardrooms, wherever we go. And I pray, Lord, wherever our church scatters, may we have impact for your kingdom. We want, we've been called to be holy, so we want to live in that way wherever we may go. Now, being holy doesn't mean the ladies have to wear prairie dresses and we eat prunes while talking in King James English. It doesn't mean we fuss about everything in society being of the devil. It doesn't mean we come to church to hide out from the rest of the world and sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a saint like me. They're all lost, but I'm found. They're blind, but I can see. It's not what we sing. Living holy lives means we resemble Christ. It, in our church, we've charted that out in our first tenets where we say we want to see children to become youth, to become adults who are focused on God, involved in ministry, respected by peers, strengthened in faith, and transformed by Christ. All five of these tenets develop holiness or are a product of holiness in our lives. And so that's where we want to go. That's what we want all of us to be or to be. Come. 
A strong church is set apart from the world, and we want to be a strong church. A strong church is also part of a global movement. Do you notice what he says there? He says, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Every church has a local responsibility, but it is part of a global movement of God because the Great Commission doesn't just say, reach Jerusalem. It says Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world as well. We are a local church, but through cooperation with other churches, we seek to fulfill the Great Commission around the world. The church in Corinth was part of a developing network of churches that were, were taking the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world and the Roman Empire. Our church, First Baptist Church Pineville, is part of a network of churches that are taking the gospel to the entire world as well. We're committed to supporting uh, the cooperative efforts of the Southern Baptist Convention through our, our gifts to the cooperative program, through our gifts to the uh, different mission offerings throughout the year. But we also want to work alongside sister churches in church planning and revitalization and in mission work. We're not alone in what we're doing, and we want to see God do great things. You've heard of our partnership with New Life Community Church in Arnoldville. We're also exploring partnerships in North America and internationally as well. Soon we'll be announcing plans for a mission trip this summer to Tucson, Arizona, another to the Appalachia area of Tennessee. Some exciting opportunities awaiting us. The possibilities are endless and limited only by people to take the lead and for the funds to support it. But a strong church is part of a global movement and we want to be a strong church. We're going to grow stronger in 2014. Every day, every week, every month. My prayer is that God will amaze us with the things he does. I pray for more lives transformed than we can imagine, more resources available to work with than we've envisioned, and more penetration into this region than we thought possible. We've described some characteristics of a strong church this morning, but there's one thing that, that's here in this passage, but it's a little bit hidden. But it's, I think, the key that underlines everything to a strong church, and that is we have to focus on Christ. That truth underlies everything. In fact, notice how many times Jesus Christ is mentioned in the first three verses of this letter. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our focus must be on Christ. If we want to be a strong church, that's what we've got to key in on. Back in the 1970s, before I was born even, Ralph Neighbor Jr. wrote a book as the church was transitioning called The Seven Last Words of the Church. Many of you remember that. And the seven last words of the church were, we've never tried it that way before. But he said the seven first, church, first words of the church are, I can do all things through Christ. When Christ is our focus... We can be strong. We can be everything we want to be. We can be everything God calls us to be. And so let's grow stronger this year. And may it all be for His glory and for His namesake. That's our challenge. That's where we're heading. May we pray together. Lord, we want to grow stronger. Stronger than we've ever been. 
Lord, this church has a great legacy. There have been great things accomplished in the past. But Lord, as we sang this morning, greater things are still to come in this city. And so, Lord, we ask that you'll use us to accomplish those great things. Lord, we want to be a vibrant and active First Baptist Church. We want to be a progressive church that is penetrating its community. Lord, help us to discover the ways to do that. We're grateful, Lord, for the call that you've placed upon us. And we pray that you will help us to fulfill that call. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.